Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through Ephesians, and in the previous message, I was in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, where Paul said that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And I was blending the two ideas here of the hope of his calling and the glory of his inheritance in the saints in the sense that we can experience a sense of hope. We can feel a sense of hope. We can know that we have some hope because we belong to him, that we are his inheritance. That's the end of verse 18. The glory of his inheritance in the saints that we not only receive an inheritance from him, being in Christ Jesus, being made born again, being a child of God, but that he also receives us as an inheritance also. To use this term inheritance in an abstract way to describe the giving of something, or in this case someone, to another without any compensation required, without any work involved, without any real exchange taking place. It is something that is genuinely given to someone else because of who they are. And the intent is, of course, that you would be able to make use of this in order to increase life. This can be a little confusing to some people because in many cases people look at the idea of receiving an inheritance in the world as something that they will be able to just use and go out and indulge their flesh. The real value of an inheritance given to someone else, however, is found in leaving an inheritance to their children that is greater than what they received themselves from their parents. That is a different way of considering the significance and the application of the idea of an inheritance. And so if you were to embrace that a little bit, if you were to think about that a little bit more, I think you can appreciate and relate to the idea of God receiving us as an inheritance for himself. Not so that he's going to go out and indulge his flesh because now he's got a bunch of slaves, but because there will be a significant increase in his life and in other people's lives because of what he gains from us as his children. But in this program, I'd like to divide things up a little bit more. If we go back up to verse 17, where Paul speaks about his prayer for the Ephesians. He makes mention of the Ephesians in his prayers in verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So, of course, the focus in this case is the knowledge of him. It is knowing your God. This is the fundamental purpose for which God has created the earth, 
and all that is involved within the earth. It is so that he may be known, and known in ways that he simply would not have been known otherwise. In the struggles, in the tribulations, in the difficulties that people go through in their lives, they have opportunities to know their God in ways that they simply would not be able to know him if they never endured through these struggles and tribulations and difficulties of life, just to give you an example. But that the priority, of course, is that we may know our God and that this is going to be presented as a revelation, that he is going to reveal himself so that we may know him. But the spirit of wisdom associated with this has to do with the fact that he will only reveal himself to those people who genuinely want to know him. Everyone else is, in effect, free to reject him because he presents himself in a way, of course, that is subtle, that is not completely obvious. And so if a person wants to deny the existence of God, then they are free to do so until they physically die, of course, in which case they are going to have an experience with God personally. But in our physical lives, while we are here on this planet, in this world, God is exercising his wisdom in terms of how he is going to reveal himself to us so that we may know who he is. And through this revelation of our God, we will also have an increase in wisdom through his spirit dwelling within us, working within us, relating to us, speaking to us, giving us the revelation and knowledge of our God. We will also be able to experience an increase in wisdom, and so that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And then he goes on into verse 18, and he refers to three different topics. I've been blending them together a little bit, but I'm going to move forward in an individual context, because he does make a transition in verse 19 into a different topic. And so in this program, I'm going to start out by explaining the three different topics that Paul presents in the context of knowing our God as our God will reveal himself and give us his wisdom. In verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. That's the first topic. The first one is the hope of his calling. And I have been referring to other things in these passages with regards to the idea of hope. But to know that there is a tremendous amount of hope in him calling you is a big deal. Now, as I have explained in previous programs, he calls out to everyone. Everyone is called, but only a certain kind of person will respond to the call. And who is this kind of person? The person who wants to know their God. Those are the people who will respond to the call. And when we respond to the call to know who he is, then of course, that is the purpose of the relationship with God. That is the purpose of the new covenant. That is why we turn to him, that we may know who he is. The second topic What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And I spoke about this one in the previous message, that we are his inheritance. We are what he receives. 
the glory, the knowing of his inheritance, the knowing of what he gets, the knowing of what he values. And this will increase, of course, our knowledge of him by understanding the concept of what it means to be his as an inheritance. And so that's the second topic. Moving on into verse 19, though, is the third topic. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? And so the third topic is that we may know him in the context of his power that his power will be revealed to us and that we will understand his wisdom in terms of how he applies and makes use of his power. Now, you have to be careful with this because it turns out that a lot of people are interested in having some power. And what I mean by that is that they are wanting power for themselves. And when they think about the power of God, There are a lot of people who think about the power of God as something that they will be able to have access to and that they will be able to wield and make use of in some way for themselves. And what I mean by for themselves is not just that they are going to personally benefit by the outcome of the wielding of the power of God, but that they will have this sense of power and this sense of control because they were the ones who wielded the power of God. It was the using of the power of God that they are really after. They want to experience the power of using a God in their daily experiences, regardless of the outcome of what that really does accomplish. It's just the experience of being able to wield the power of God. And this is often expressed in a lot of different religious environments where people are wanting to use prayer. They're wanting to use praise. They're wanting to do whatever. They're wanting to do something in order to get God to respond and do something for them because they asked him to do it, because they demanded that he do it, because they were perhaps assuming that they are little gods themselves and that they're wielding the power of God. It really just depends on the person who you interact with. But the more people that you interact with, the more you will encounter people who have this kind of an attitude where they're really interested in the power. They want to be empowered, if I may use that term. They want to be empowered by being able to get God to respond to their requests, to do what they ask him to do, or in some respects tell him to do. It just depends on the person, of course. But it's the power that people are attracted to. Another way that people will pursue this is by trying to have some kind of connection with God such that they are going to join in with God. And so whatever God does, they will, in effect, experience the power of God because, of course, they're one of his. And so because they are one of his, because they are a Christian, because they believe that he exists, you know, whatever he does, as long as he's using some power, well, they kind of feel as if they're a part of that. They're a part of that in a sense, that they are participants in the making use of 
the power of God, and so they will be able to separate themselves from everyone else in the world because, of course, they are the ones who are part of God exercising his power. An example of this would be if God was to intervene in the world in a very profound way. And these are people who say that they are children of God. And this is something that God is doing. He is the one who is using his power. But somehow, because they are his children, they will say, you know what? We are a part of this, and so we are going to feel this sense of empowerment because our God is using his power, and of course, you are not one of his, and so you are not experiencing the power of God in the same way that we are. You don't have ownership of the power of God like we have. And when God is done... You're not going to be able to claim that you are associated with this God and with this display of great power. But we will be able to say that we are associated with this God and we are a part of this great display of power. And somehow people will get the idea that they are empowered by this. But this is an exercise of God. You get to be a witness just like everybody else gets to be a witness if God decides to exercise his power in the ways that people are usually thinking. But here, when Paul speaks about power, he's not referring to the displays of power that most people are usually interested in. What most people are talking about, what they're praying about, what they congregate over, what they present sermons over, what they do in their rituals, their ceremonies, and their sacraments. This is a different kind of power that Paul is referring to. You have to keep reading. Again, in verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? And then you got to keep reading. You got to go on to see what he is referring to with regards to the working of his mighty power. Otherwise, people will just leave this open ended and come up with all kinds of things that they will say is the working of his mighty power that has nothing to do with what Paul is saying here at the end of Ephesians chapter 1. Nothing to do with what Paul says at all. It's just whatever people will make up in their own minds out of their own desires because they want to see the power of God and claim some sense of participation with it so that they also can feel some sense of empowerment. But you got to keep reading into verse 20 which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. All right, we have two parts in verse 20, the idea of being seated at his right hand in the heavenly places. I'll come back to that one in a minute. That is what will get us into verse 21. But the first part of verse 20, it refers to the resurrection. That is the expression of his power. Again, in verse 20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. He raised him from the dead. That was the revelation of his mighty power. And so going back up to verse 19, to know not just the hope of his calling, not just his inheritance in the saints, but what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. And what is this power? It is The resurrection, it is us being resurrected from the dead. It is us being made spiritually alive that we may be 
born again, a child of God, and that we may experience the revelation of our God so that we might know him. But instead, people are, in many cases, they are consumed with the displays of power of what are we going to do in terms of miracles and signs and wonders? Well, this is it. This is it. It is your resurrection. It is you being raised from the dead. That is the mighty power that Paul wants you to know about your God as he reveals himself and to understand his wisdom in performing this resurrection within you. So again in verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? And what is that exceeding greatness of his power? It is the exceeding greatness of you being resurrected from the dead, you being made spiritually alive. That is the third item in this list of what Paul prays you may know. This is the same power which he worked, this is verse 20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him, not you, seated Jesus at his right hand in the heavenly places. For what? You have to keep reading into verse 21. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. So in verse 20 and 21, Paul introduces a new topic in the context of power, a new topic, and that is the topic of the power struggle that has been existing in the heavenly places. So his power is first recognized in terms of the resurrection. He resurrected Jesus from the dead. He will resurrect you from the dead spiritually now and today, and he will resurrect you again when you physically die into the new life in the kingdom of heaven. There is a lot to say about that. But there is another power struggle that has been taking place, and this is something that Paul refers to in many places in his letter to the Ephesians. This is where he introduces the issue of spiritual warfare, and that there is a power struggle that is going on, that has been going on, between himself and other spiritual beings, in this case, It is who we would call the demons, the demonic powers, those angels who decided to reject their proper place and position with God in the kingdom of heaven. God created this earth as the battleground for this conflict that started in the kingdom of heaven. Again, God created this earth for many reasons, and one of them is to be the battleground between himself, his angelic host, and the demonic powers who are the angels who decided to reject their purpose and place in the kingdom of heaven. So this is something that has been going on here on this planet for a long time. As it has been expressed in the scriptures, this is something that has been going on ever since the creation of Adam and Eve, when he created the garden, when he created the planet, and... There was this first conflict with the devil himself, described in Genesis chapter 3, over the knowledge of good and evil. 
and that Adam and Eve decided to reject God. They decided not to believe God because they thought that God was lying to them about the knowledge of good and evil. The devil tempted them to eat from the wrong tree because of the belief that they could be like God. So we have had this power struggle going on in the heavenly places, in the heavenly realms, between God and the demons over who is going to be like God or not, and how. But here at the end of chapter 1 in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he just simply mentions that God has expressed his power. He has worked his power. He has been participating in this great power struggle, and his resurrection of Christ was a pivotal moment in this power struggle. There was a lot involved in this resurrection. For example, when Jesus died for the sins of the world, rose from the dead, through his death, he effectively fulfilled the demands of the law, which is the description of what is good and what is evil. The law demanded complete obedience or death. Jesus, of course, obeyed on his own behalf, but he died on our behalf so that the demand of the law would be fulfilled. When the demand of the law was fulfilled, then the law would no longer have a place in our lives as it had once before. That was the end of the Old Covenant, the life of living according to the knowledge of good and evil. The New Covenant is about living by the Spirit of God who dwells within you. It is living our lives with the relationship that we have with a person, not through the knowledge of good and evil, but that we have a relationship with a person who gives us wisdom, understanding, guidance, instruction, meaning, and purpose. This is a different kind of relationship. But in the heavenly battle, the heavenly battleground, the conflict that is taking place between himself and the demonic powers, the struggle has to do with can the fallen angels function in a way that God intended, if not even better than how God intended, if they just know what is right and wrong and they stay within those boundaries. If they will live in accordance with the knowledge of good and evil, do that which is right and not do that which is wrong, well, then they could be like God. Now, of course, there are many displays of the demonic powers that are definitely inappropriate. And because of the expression of dishonesty and many actions that are definitely considered to be wrong, that they are evil, this obviously demonstrates that the angels who fell, who rebelled, who became demons, are certainly not like God, that they are dysfunctional. Through the documented history and testimonies that we have, we could say that with great confidence, just as we can say that with the people that we have here in this world, humanity in general is obviously quite dysfunctional, even when people try to live in accordance with the knowledge of good and evil by doing that which is good and not doing that which is evil. It still does not work out very well. But this is a way of understanding the display of God's mighty power, that this is an important power struggle that is taking place, and through the resurrection of Jesus, he has been set in authority over all other spiritual beings. 
and I will continue with this in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net